Father Joshua. Father Rory, welcome to Lent. Welcome back to Lent. Yeah, we're still in Lent. Can we be done? <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I feel like it hasn't even started yet. Oh man. Oh gosh. It's uh it is like it is funny. I was talking with some people. Um where was I talking to some people a little while ago? Something but well, like this being the most wonderful time of the year, and I tried to convince my parish uh last this past Sunday about how that's true. And I'm not really sure that they were totally buying it, but uh, <laughs> a couple of them did come up to me afterwards. They were like, yes, yes, it's so true. It's so true. It's like, but anyway. It's the most dolorous time of the year. Most dolorous time of the year. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I love a little bit of sorrow. I love a little bit of sorrow. <laughs> it's like, a, it's all like a, like a bunch of blues music. It's really, it's really, I think it went like a bunch of blues music. <laughs> What's funny to me is in, no matter how much I like prepare myself and, and others for the beginning of Lent, it always catches me off guard. Yeah. It's like, oh, right. It's Lent, it's like Lent now. Um, I feel like the first couple of days are just like getting into the swing of it. And now that we're into the first full week of Lent, now it's like time to like actually, okay, it's Lent. Like hunker down. Here we go. Yeah. And I, and I do think it's good for people. I was, I, I, well, I'm not sure if you mentioned this at all, or I'm not sure how you feel about this, but I do think that, it's perfectly acceptable for us to, uh, how do I word this? To kind of like do, you know, I think, you know, obviously Lent originally, officially starts on Ash Wednesday, but I think it's good for us even to like, after these first several days to kind of say, okay, is this really the fast that I need to be doing or the disciplines that I need to be doing? And it's okay to kind of go back and reevaluate those a little bit. Um, and if you're worried that you're going soft on yourself, you know, go, go ask somebody, I guess, but but there's something where it's like, okay, I need to go like, I need to like, okay. I need, usually it's like, in either for me, I've, I've hyperextended myself where it's like, I'm never going to eat the entire Lent and that that's just dumb. Or I'm like, eh, I might not give up chocolate. <laughs> might not have chocolate, you know? And it's like, okay, I, I kind of have extremes. And I think this year I finally struck a balance, which I'm happy about. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's easy to forget like what Lent is all about. And I think we talked about this last time, like it's about growing in holiness and, mm. you know, we can make the sacrificial aspect of it kind of an idol. Um, but the point is, you know, and, and I think, I, I think not only is it okay to like reevaluate, it's also okay to like, like, like new year's resolutions, everybody you cave once and then it's like all over. Like Lent shouldn't be like that. Like, okay, I caved once or twice. Like, okay, well that's okay. I can start over again. I still have plenty of Lent left. Right. And yeah, exactly. You don't want to like. I, I think failing at your Lenten practices is not the the measure to say that we failed at Lent. It's like no. It's it's the point is you know the Lord could even work through those moments of feeling like a mishap. Um, uh, it, it's, was it uh, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more? Now certainly you know failing in your Lenten practices is not like necessarily sin unless I guess unless, unless you sinned, in which case. That would be sinning <laughs> by definition. Um, um, yes, committing sin well, that, is kind of considered sinning. But but no, it's like the Lord wants to work even through our struggles and our feelings too, right? Yeah, that's kind of the beauty of it being challenged by choice. You know, mm. we we kind of try to figure out what God is calling us to, and you know, we go for it as best we can. Right. Um, speaking of going for it as best we can, what's the uh, what's the scripture this weekend? What a segue. The, uh, I was, I'm, I'm, I'm in awe. I'm in awe. I really like this um, well, 
we're starting off again in Genesis, but we jumped ahead uh, 12 chapters, well, not 12, like 10 chapters. Because I think we stopped on chapter, we were in chapter two last weekend. So mm -hmm. uh, we jumped ahead 10 chapters and we're in a very different place. And we're already at Abram, which is not quite Abraham. Yes. <laughs> Abram is not quite Abraham. That's true. Um, so this is this is the giving God giving His promises to Abram, um, which is really I mean this is kind of the you know he's he's the the father of the faith right so this is the beginning of the Abrahamic tradition of our faith um, so this is a really powerful moment um, exactly and this is where he's you know makes his big promise to Abraham right the one that. He will, he will really, and we'll, we'll hear a lot about this, especially at the Easter Vigil, where he'll go through this whole time about you know, his son and who Abraham's son is supposed to be and the prefigurement of Christ. But here he makes his great promise to him, right? I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. All the communities of the earth shall find blessing in you. I'm like, that's a, that's a powerful statement that all the communities of the earth shall find blessing in you. Yeah. So there's this, this guy getting up in years. He doesn't even have any children. And, you know, this is, <clears throat> this, this is the problem, you know, so it's, it's usually, um, they usually figure out that there were, there were three major promises that God made to Abraham. Right. So he promises, uh, land. So I'm going to give you, give you land. So from your father's house to a land that I will show you, I'm going to give you land, the promised land. Um, so land. The second thing, uh, land, he's also going to have offspring. So I'll make of you a great nation. I'm going to give you lots and lots of offspring. And then finally, uh, uh, you will be a blessing to the nations. So all the communities of the earth shall find blessing in you. So this is kind of the beginning stages of those promises. God more formally turns this into a covenant uh, a few chapters later in Genesis. But uh, this beginning of these promises to Abraham. Absolutely. And this is you can almost say this is kind of like the engagement before the marriage in some ways, because in some ways he makes this promise to him, but that, that will come fulfilled in the, in the covenant that he's about to make with him very shortly. And then those promises start to be fulfilled. And I, I think there's a temptation for us to either say oftentimes that promises in the Old Testament are either not kept or that they go away. And and that's not really true. Like, like there's a legitimate question I think that someone could raise and say, well, did God follow through on his plan of saying you will be a, a blessing for all the communities of the earth and i think there's a legitimate question you say that, like were you a, were you a blessing and i'm like she's like i mean like that that sounds like a big thing but let's let's go back and just like just by way of example of, of the fact that this does that god if god makes a promise it's going to happen right that and we, and we can have you know maybe even trite or silly examples by comparison but you know, by extension, right? From from Abraham eventually comes uh, Christ and the Christians and so forth. And and from Christianity, we get what the hospital system, the the college, the university system, right? Just on a very basic level, right? Like higher education, the fact that like a lot of these things, a lot of like thoughts about history, um, you go through, and a lot of things were preserved by 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 monks and by religious. So, but there's a point to be said that just not only in this in this grand way will Christ Himself be the blessing, right? That eventually will come and will bless. All, all the worlds, but even in even down to, to the smaller actions and the manner in which we live out, right? It should ideally be a blessing to the rest of the, community, mm. the world. 
That's a, that's a really good point. I, I like that. Focus, like there is, in, even in a very practical sense, if you if you don't want to get into, you know, obviously the the hope for redemption, <laughs> this right. powerful powerful thing in yeah, in, in Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. I, but yeah, that's that's a really good point. You know, it, um, through Abraham's faithfulness, there have been blessings that have been brought to the whole world. That's a really cool. It's a really cool thing. Um, you know, and even that, um, well, and even that, that was kind of the plan from the beginning was this, this is not meant just for this one person or this one family or this one tribe or this one nation that all along, it was God's plan that he needs to bring his blessing to all of the communities of the earth, all the world would be blessed. Um, and that this is just the way that God goes about doing that. And, um, and that's beautifully reflected right in the song, right? That, that comes up where, um, see, I can segue too. <laughs> um, where, 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 you know, the Israelites are, are now, or, or the Israelite people like David and, and, and the nations after, long after Abraham, are still speaking of these blessings, right? Upright is the word of the Lord and all his works are trustworthy, right? He loves justice and right of the kindness of the Lord, the earth is full. And this idea that the Lord is still blessing down to down to these other generations, right? That he's bringing this this through, um, even to the point where they can say, "My soul is waiting on the Lord, who is our help and our shield." Yeah, yeah, and I mean, along with that, I, I think I think this is tied in. Like, what did what did Abraham have to do for these promises? Like, this was this was really God's God chose to bestow this gift on Abram, and all that Abraham had to do, like. God says, go forth from your land. Like, like the act of faith that Abraham has to do was to actually to move, to go where, where God told him to go. Um, and that was it. I mean, so uh, these, these freely bestowed gifts, well, yeah, our soul continues. Our souls continue to long for and wait for those gifts and the kindnesses of the Lord. It's all on his action. Lord, let your mercy be on us. We place our trust in you. If we can make that same act of faith like Abraham did, um, then we we're caught up into um, into the love of God as well. Mm, mm, excellent. This is why this is why we keep you around. This is why we keep you around. Ex exactly that, right? Is exactly that. Is that Abraham doesn't do anything right to deserve this? This is a complete gift from God. A complete gift from God. And I, but he also kind of in a very real way, right? You know, we look to God to kind of to define the, the thing. He, he defines what the narrative is for the way in which we're going to think about things. And, you know, he calls to this, to this guy and says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you because, because I chose you, not because of any predilection you have towards faithfulness or anything like that. Right. Like, because only of what I've given you, um, will you then have this. And, um, in many ways, Abraham, as he continues the story continues for Abraham, right? He becomes the, the father of faith. And Peter, in a, in a way, becomes the new Abraham. I'm not sure if you've ever heard this one. This one's, I like this one. Where someone says that, you know, Abraham has this, this action of faith where he, he knows who God is and just assents to it without any sort of human knowledge. And Peter similarly points out Christ as being the son of God without any sort of human knowledge to it um, mm. in this beautiful way. Uh, I, I like that. 
Well, now what you what you were just saying before that ties in really well to the segment. I'm not going to be able to segue it as well as. Okay, I thought I had a segue you know. and I was going to cut you off, and I didn't want to do that because that would come nice. <laughs> but but that's exactly what but what we were talking about with Abraham, and it wasn't like it was God's choice. God bestowed this on him. Uh, that's what Paul is telling Timothy in the second reading today. You know, he saved us and called us to a holy life, not according to our works, not because of anything that I've done not because of anything that you've done, but according to his design. Mm. And it's amazing that the grace bestowed on us in Christ Jesus before time began, but now made manifest. Like God's been pouring his gifts on before even time began. This was, this was a grace to be sent to us, but only now are we be, are we able to see it? Like how amazing is that? That is, and that's it's beautiful because there is this weird there was a there was a heresy I forget the exact name of it but I should know this but um, where it says basically that Christ came into that Jesus the, the Son of God came into being at some point in time where like you know like he really didn't exist and then God sort of makes him it's like well no he was eternally with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit right so it's, these three are always together and there is a sense of like well was he just not doing anything like was he just kind of hanging out it's like you know every action throughout the entirety any action of, of god is always an action of the trinity right in the expression of one but it's always the expression of all three in some ways and to say this is, is a beautifully profound statement right that the grace but only now we're seeing it right we've and this goes back to you know when you start going back into the old testament and start saying Wow, that was the action of God, but in some ways you can almost kind of see the tangible workings of the Son and the Spirit and stuff like that in some ways. Mm. Um, right, right. All right, so now the challenge that we have before us, Father Rory, is how to tie all of that stuff, all of that beautiful stuff into the gospel, which is the story of the transfiguration. So... What do you think? <laughs> I am pumped up and ready for this. Thank you for that lead up. I appreciate it. Um, no, but exactly what you were saying, right? That that Christ is prefigured in this. And okay, how do I now? Darn it! Darn it! I, had, I thought I had a perfect segue. Oh gosh! Oh no! <laughs> okay, oh, it's gonna bother me. Okay. Ah. Uh, oh. Uh, okay. Forget the, the important segue. thing I'm is sorry. to get angry with yourself. That's bad. That's bad. Um, I should have given that up for Lent. But anyway. <laughs> um, so one of the th lines that I, I always found really super interesting in this one, in this passage, right, is that they're up on the, on the mountain, right? Uh, Moses and Elijah appear and they're conversing with, with Jesus, right? And they're chatting, um, whatever they're talking about. I don't know what they're talking about, but whatever they're chatting about. Um, Peter, James, and John, the typical uh, three, are up on the mountain with him. And Peter has his profound words. Uh, what is it? Uh <laughs> Lord, it is good that we are here. All right, nice. Okay, that's a good opener. Good opener. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And everyone that I've, most people that I've heard preach on this one are usually like, oh, Peter's such an idiot. Peter's such an idiot, right? It's like, oh my gosh, you're so dumb. And I'm like, okay, one, you walk up a mountain in the early morning hours and then have a man transfigured and then two ancient figures come and converse with them and you find the right words, okay? Number one, uh, but but putting that putting the humor aside for a moment, um, I, I was in the Holy Land a couple of years ago and someone finally said, no, Peter asked the correct question. Peter asked the exact right question that you're supposed to ask 
when this happens. Now, I was trying to look up to confirm some of the things he had said, uh, and I was able to find some of it, not all of it. But uh, So I won't talk about the things that he said that I couldn't confirm, but um, other passages do talk about this as being the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, right? So in the ancient uh, testimony, which has this idea of the eternal dwelling of the Lord and the idea of kind of going back to kind of some of the roots. Thank you. Getting thumbs up. Okay, good. All right. Oh, well, 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 well I'm not sure what that is. But uh, uh, Father Josh was giving me... Did you have something you want to say there, Bosh? No, 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 no. Keep going, okay. keep going. I, got, I, I was like, oh, no, I'm young. I'm, I'm right. I'm a heretic. I don't know. Okay. Um, but this is a sense of like, so Peter asked the right question. It's like, is this the time where, where you are going to tabernacle? You're going to, you're going to live with us. And so should I be making dwelling places for you like our ancient, uh, uh, our forefathers did in, in the desert and also the time where they made a tent for God? Um, you have something? Yeah, so it's 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 right that you're celebrating the the dwelling of God with His people. So you're building these these booths and these tents, you know, this dwelling place. You're also celebrating in that the giving of the law. Um, so uh, it's a reminder too of uh, so so anyway that all that all ties in with that. I just wanted to add that that little. No, story. that's perfect, right? Because like, who are these who are these two figures of Moses? Right, Moses comes down from the mountain. They both had, now they both had, both Moses and Elijah both had mountain experiences that overlap with this one where their faces become light and all this other stuff, right? And they both, the stories overlap. So you want to look at that, go back and look at the story of like Moses coming off the mountain where uh, where he has experience and so is Elijah. But not only that, Moses is one, right, who receives the Ten Commandments on the, and Elijah is the one who kind of goes in and calls out the state, uh, talks about the, um, well, I can't think what the word is. I can't think what the phrase is, but Elijah does good stuff. <laughs> He's a prophet. He calls out what, 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 what the truth is and what, what the reality is and going back to the law. He does good things. He's a good guy. Um, <laughs> Big fan. Big fan. Big fan. Big fan. Big fan of his early work. Vintage Elijah mm. is like the best. Mm. Um, uh, but, but the fact that these two are conversing with him it solidifies the fact that, that Christ is the Son of God and lawgiver. But Putting all that aside for just half a second, something that just blew my mind while I was trying to look this up was uh, I came across some of the things that went with the the, the Feast of Booths for, for the, our, our Jewish brothers and sisters. Um, and so uh, some of these things I'm aware of and some of them I'd have to look up a little more details on, but um, not super important for what the point I want to say is. Um, there's like you know, five or six things that they have to use as libation of water. This, you read the great Hallel, right, which is the great uh, Psalm of Rejoicing. But the other thing that you do is you use palm branches or willow branches. Oh. And they carry the palms during the Feast of Tabernacles. Oh, now, interesting. When else are we going to be processing? When God, but when God is going to eventually tabernacle himself in our presence— right it permanently and when does he start this right he goes into the, the holy city to eventually to begin the sacrifice that is going to be his permanent tabernacling with us i'm not sure that can be an active verb be permanently place himself with us and we greet him with palm branches right this is also a a, a festival of thanksgiving and what is that eventual sacrifice that will become the permanent tabernacle of the Lord, but that same tabernacle which dwells in every single Catholic church, where the Eucharist, 
the, the sacrament of thanksgiving will dwell with us. And that same Eucharist was welcomed with palm branches for centuries in prefigurement, like Paul says, right? Um, be, Je, his own design and grace is bestowed on us in Christ Jesus before time began and are now made manifest through the appearance of our Savior Jesus Christ. So all these images are coming together. It's a festival of thanksgiving. It's the dwelling of the Lord. It's the glory of the Lord. And, and we greet that with palm branches. All these symbols are just sort of coming together. And why is the transfiguration here? Is it to give people the sense of, you know, the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel of what God's got to do? Absolutely. That that Christ is is going to be victorious and give, give his apostles hope. Absolutely. But also a real prefigurement of the glory that will be abiding with us. Um, uh from now until the day of eternity and in eternity. Yeah, there's something really beautiful there. You're right that that when whenever we build a church or have a church, you know, we put the tabernacle in it, and that's such a big moment. And um, the Easter Vigil, when Jesus is returned, the Eucharist is returned to the tabernacle. Um, you know, it's a, like we have that same impulse. Like I'll make, I'll build a tent for you, Lord. Like stay with us. You know, stay with us, Lord. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, this desire and this rejoicing of the presence of God with us is such a beautiful thing and an important thing. Um, and I, I think you're right to, to bring out too. Like we've been really focusing on this this tense business, <laughs> but but yeah, we're seeing we we see the glory of Jesus, and we so by that we mean we see the glory of God too. Um, in this moment, we see Jesus with the the law. Moses and the prophets, Elijah. So it's like all of the Old Testament is coming together into the new. And to kind of work our way backwards, right? Like you say, all these things are being brought together into the new, right? Paul talks about this, right? You're led to a holy life and these things were prefigured in Christ. And you go back and you, you remember that all throughout the history of Israel, right? They had been praying for the, the presence of the Lord, right? Our soul waits for the Lord who is our help and our shield who's going to come, right? And then, but all of that only happens because of the initial promise made to some guy a long time ago. Um, That's right. wasn't even named correctly. <laughs> um, but in, a, in an interesting manner, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, I might be wrong about this one. I might be a heretic. I don't know which. I don't know if I'm not, am or not, but um, the adding of certain letters to names is a divinic thing so abraham becoming a abram coming abraham right the h is part of the um the yohe vahe of the of yahweh so in some ways if you will there's the, the the part of the name of god is inserted into his name and in some ways god tabernacles with his name well, that's interesting. I've never, I've never come across that before. I mean, there's certainly a sense of um, when God gives somebody a new name in the Old Testament, it's because they're they've been given a new mission by Him um, or a new identity by Him. Um, uh, Jacob and Isaac, uh, uh, Sarah, Abraham. Um, so these are, I mean, that's that's interesting to to say that that that's kind of the name itself is incorporating into the person of God is a really interesting thought. Yeah. It could be radical, so if you're listening to this, feel free to forget that. If it helps your prayer, keep it. If not, don't become a heretic on my account. 
<laughs> well, the thing that's really going to bother me looking at this, looking at this gospel that I've, that's never occurred to me. Um, how did Peter know that one was Moses and one was Elijah? Thank you. Thank you. How that's like, were they wearing, were they wearing name tags? Like they didn't have pictures. <laughs> they didn't have statues. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, unless Jesus was like, oh, hey, Moses. Hey, Elijah. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, maybe he, he overheard. He overheard. Yeah. Uh, maybe the context was just that good. Anyway, that's what's, that's what I'm really, right. I mean, I'm not saying I'm going to preach about that this weekend, but it, it might come up. They always have like the name tags. Hello, my name is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, on that happy note, I think that's a good a good spot to to wrap up. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, there's a lot going on in these readings. It's really beautiful this weekend. Yeah, it's really good. Not that's really ever weekend where the readings aren't good. It's always Jesus related. So it should be. <laughs> All right. Uh, Father Joshua, would you like to close us in prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, we give you thanks for your word, for your scripture. We give you thanks for the transfiguration, that we had this glimpse recorded in history of, of your glory and your power. We ask that this moment be a moment of encounter for us, that we can reflect on your glory, and that may guide us through the penance of Lent to the greatness of Easter. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you, Father. And we'll see you, uh, we'll see you soon. We'll see you soon. Adios.